right, good morning, church. Happy Easter. He is risen. Amen. Good to see you. And I know I look very angelic. And all of this white, my wife put it out, and so I'm wearing it. I'm blaming you, babe. Uh, I, I went ahead and alarmed the tech crew that the white is going to be way out of balance. You're not going to be able to see anything, especially you guys uh, online. And uh, so if you busted your sunglasses out during the sermon, I'm not going to be offended at all. We're going to be good. Do me a favor, take out your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. That's where we're going to be looking today as we reflect on this uh, most critical aspect of all of human history, this one event. Uh, celebrate that today together. But first I want to um, uh, look at where we're headed on May the 1st. I want to give you a little bit of a heads up of where we're going. We're going to start a sermon series on May the 1st titled, Help My Unbelief, actual prayer that a man prayed. That's how I call it a prayer, but stated to Christ himself. Uh, have you ever felt that maybe the, the behavior of Christians really causes you to question your faith? Uh, something that many people do. It, it really affects them deeply. Um, have you been hurt by Christians or a Christian so deeply that you, you start questioning your faith? That happens all the time. Um, maybe you feel as though God let you down. Something happened in your life and you feel as though, how could God exist? How could he love me? Or, um, if that's the case, and maybe you, you begin to struggle with doubt because of that. It happens all the time. Maybe you're immersed in a context of daily life where you're just immersed in anti-religious, uh, maybe anti-God type narrative that's going on. And it's overwhelming to you so much to the degree you begin to really question your faith. Um, maybe you're a young person and you're in that phase of life and Christianity where we all have had it, where we sort of, have, if you've had Christian parents, where you've taken off that comfortable blanket of mom and dad's faith and you're owning your own faith. And you're coming to that place, and that place is a process, and in that process you may experience big questions and doubt and skepticism and answering your own questions and having the Lord do that for you is part of it. Maybe you're just a personality type where you are an evidence examiner, logical thinker type. Uh, you need the cold facts until you get them. You're just a skeptical type person. Um, I, I wanted to try to, un, if, if that resonates with anybody in this room, that's where we're headed with this series on May 1st. It's going to be four weeks. We're going to be talking about doubt, doubt in the Christian faith. We all face it at times, and I'm looking forward to going through that with you. Think about a friend or someone that you might know that might pertain to this subject matter that might be good for them. Please invite them. We would love, I'd love for us to go through all of that together. I'm really looking forward to that. So that's where we're headed on May 1st, so come join me in that all right first corinthians 15 i'm going to read verse 1 down to 20 and what we have is the apostle paul is writing a letter to a church the church in corinth and he is coming across as a little frustrated in this chapter and he's frustrated with a situation that's happening in the church in corinth if you know anything about the church in corinth it was a very immature spiritually church many of the people in corinth were um, basically Gentile Greek believers, and so they had a long way to go to learn the Bible, the truth of the gospel, the Messiah, and all of that. Um, and some of them struggled with the whole resurrection idea because they're Greek and 
whole religious concept separated them from the material world, not, not, not renewed the material world. Uh, so they had a really hard time with this whole resurrection thing. But the church evidently had some people who were coming in and promoting this view uh, that, the resurrect, that there is no resurrection from the dead. And Paul is addressing it in chapter 15. And so what you have in this one chapter is Paul basically giving us thousands of nice little micro PowerPoints for Christianity of the power and the hope of the resurrection. And I want to preach all of it. And I want to preach the whole chapter and I want to preach every little minutia part and all the power of it. Um, but we'd be here till about three this afternoon and y'all would be very hungry. So I've condensed it. Uh, to your uh, liking, and uh, you're going to like that, and, and uh, I'm going to preach it, but we're going to preach the whole chapter, the sense of the whole chapter, but I'm going to read from verse 1 down to 20, and what I'd ask you to do is, as we're reading it, try to block out distractions, meditate on the Word of God, there's a power here, you can meet with God when you open His Word, let Him speak to your heart, turn your attention vertical, and let's just see what He does. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1, down to 20. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I have received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at, that same, at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you believe. But if, but if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those who also have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. 
is God's word. Let's pray together. Father, we, we pray today that as we set aside the common themes and we come together as your people to meet with you on this very special day, and Lord, as you have our attention, Lord, we pray that the power of the resurrection, everything you intended for the resurrection of Jesus Christ, your Son, to produce in our souls, that we would receive it full today, a full and a fresh, to the brim, overflowing. That's why you did it, to grant it to us today. Speak to our hearts and fill our hearts with the power of the resurrection. And we ask for it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, so Paul's first and main point from verse 1 down to 11 is that Jesus has been raised bodily, historically, um, appeared to eyewitnesses, eyewitness testimony, factual stuff going on here. The gospel according to Paul is a history of events verified by witnesses. He appeared personally to hundreds of people, including the apostles, his disciples. They saw him dead, buried. They saw him alive again. They witnessed it. And I don't have time today to give the details of all the evidence of the resurrection, although I would love to unpack all the things here, okay? But Paul is dealing with some good objections in verse 1 to 11 to some things that might be asked of this resurrection, the historicity of the resurrection. One objection that he's dealing with that really just slam dunks it, basically, is did the disciples steal the body? Did they take it and just conjure up this message? Well, Paul says he appeared to the apostles. He appeared to every one of them. And they all saw him. They touched him. They talked to him. And, by the way, all of the apostles, except for one, died, gave their life for their testimony that Jesus was dead and they saw him alive, an impossibility in their mind. And they gave testimony to this fact, and they gave their lives backing it up. And so let me ask you this question. What is the likelihood that a man will die for a lie knowing it's a lie? A lot of people have died for a lie not knowing it's a lie. But would a man die for a lie, knowing good and well, it's a lie because he took it. He's making it up. Perhaps there's one man crazy enough to die for a lie, knowing it's a lie, maybe, but 11? No one recants. No one changes their story. No one comes clean. And they all go to their death saying they saw him dead, buried, alive again, and they cannot deny it, even if you kill him. What's the odds? Another objection? What if these witnesses were hallucinating? It was a big objection to the resurrection. Paul says over 500 people he appeared to bodily, physically, 
They talked to him, touched him. They saw him dead. They saw him alive. They cannot deny it. Paul talking to Felix in the last part of Acts. Felix is like, Paul, you've lost your mind and all your learning. And he says, I have not lost my mind, but if I have, okay, so what? But he says to Felix, this was not done in a corner. This was public in the town square, dead, buried, alive again. No one is recanting. No one is changing their story. Everyone saw it. Even you, Felix, you know these things are true. You've seen these witnesses. You talk to the witnesses. You have no body. No one's got the body. The Romans took it. Tell the Romans to bring the body. And in this right now, no one did that because no one could because they saw him. Eyewitness testimony. Paul says that's the gospel. It actually happened. We saw it with our own eyes. Christ suffered, died for our sins. He was buried and indeed risen physically. Two witnesses, eyewitnesses, and that is the word that we trust. That is the gospel we are placing our life on. That it is a historical, verified event that took place. That is true and real. So I don't have time to go through all the evidences, but I want to give you some rabbit trails that you can chase on your own. How's that sound? Evidence for the resurrection, hard fact. If you're that kind of person, so am I. I love it. I encourage you to do it. I'm going to show you some, some um, resources. Chase these rabbits. Please do it. It'll strengthen your soul in the resurrection. First, the case for the resurrection of Jesus. This is probably one of the best single contained resources i would encourage you to go there it'll lead you to other resources as well but probably the best one the case for the resurrection of jesus then you have the case for easter lee strobel um, a journalist who is doing investigation investigate the journalist and approaching it from an investigation viewpoint becomes a christian from an atheist because he did so um, the case for easter lee strobel then evidence that demands a verdict josh mcdowell chapter 10 he deals with the resurrection. He deals with a whole lot of other things that will bless you too. But chapter 10, he deals with the resurrection in there. I encourage you to look at that. Then the resurrection of the Son of God, N.T. Wright. And here's basically what you can think about N.T. Wright. Anything he writes, you need to read it. Okay? Awesome, man. But he wrote this incredible work, the resurrection of the Son of God. I encourage you to go eat it up. It will bless your soul. Read it. Share it. And be filled with the strength and the reality of the resurrection. Paul first states that the gospel is a physical resurrection of Jesus. It's not legend, it's not myth, it's not hearsay, it's all evidence-based. And then he says, how in the world can you as a church talk about, even have a discussion about there not being a resurrection? How, how is this even something y'all are considering? And it's kind of just frustration with their immaturity as a church. And they, need a, they have a long way to go. And so what Paul does from verse 12 all the way to the end of the chapter, and this is what I'm going to do for you this morning. I'm going to follow in this, this vein that Paul produces from verse 12 all the way to the end of the chapter. Read the whole thing. 
But he argues for the resurrection saying this. If we follow the idea that there is no resurrection, let's see where that takes us. Let's go on a journey and let's embrace the fact that there's no resurrection. Let's not just consider it and dabble in it. Let's walk that path and let's go all the way to its logical conclusion. And let's just, uh, let's just travel that path. And let me take you on a journey and show you why you must throw that whole idea in the garbage. Or you must throw your whole Christian faith in the garbage, one or the other, but you can't have your cake and eat it too. This is what he's doing. And I'm going to do that for you right now from the rest of chapter 15. Many people begin to walk away from their faith, perhaps not thinking deeply about the faith that you're walking to and the implications that are in that faith system. You say, I'm, I'm leaving religion and I'm not going to be religious. Oh, yes, you are. You're just switching religions. When you leave things that guide your life that you can't totally prove, and you go to another system, you have things that guide your life, that make, you make decisions based on uh, every, every day in your life, based on values and things that you can't totally prove, you are in a religious system. We are religious as human beings. There is no way to avoid religious systems. You're trusting things that you can't prove every day of your life to help you live your life and make, the cho make choices and values. Everybody is religious. And when you say, I'm walking away from religion, yeah, no, you're not. You're just walking to another religion. That's step one. But when you leave one and you go to another, most people don't factor in all of the implications, the things that they must leave behind, and the things, all the things that they must embrace when they do that. Paul is leading us to do that in this chapter. And I want to do that for you. I want to give you two biggies that I think are pertaining to our world today that he touches on here. So let me give you two things. If there is no resurrection, number one, if there is no resurrection, number one, Christi, I mean, Christianity is empty nonsense. Christianity is empty nonsense. Look what he says in verse 19. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. He says if, if Jesus hasn't been raised, then Christianity is only providing some sort of therapeutic comfort to your miserable material existence. That's all that Christianity really is. But it's really just a bunch of empty nonsense. If, 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 and if Christianity isn't real, historical events that took place, then it's totally bankrupt to help you. My daughter is a cheerleader, and it's one of our favorite things to do to go to Friday nights in the fall because she's cheering her heart out with her cheer squad. Well, this past fall, she's cheering, but the football team for us is getting drilled, okay? And not a fun season. You can't breathe all fall, all right? Uh, and it was so bad to the degree that 
Um, we were thankful for the mercy rule, that it's a, that it's a, it's a, uh, a continuous clock on the second half of the game, which means basically the second half is going to last about 30 minutes and we can all go eat, right? So we were thankful for that. Because when a, when a team is up 28 to nothing at the half, you get the mercy rule. And that was often the case for us, and we just had to endure it, right? But here our cheerleaders are, in that context, getting beaten all over the place. And our cheerleaders are going after it. You can do it! And all of us are sitting up there going, oh, bless their heart. No, no, they can't do it. They, they can't do it at all. Uh, they don't even have the time to be able to do it. Uh, much less the ability. Um, but there's one, <laughs> we were laughing about this yesterday. There's one bit they put together, what do you call them? Like a routine or, a, or whatever. And you know, you pick a song and you put a routine together and it's a dance, you know, and it's a, it's a big thing and it's supposed to fire us up, right? And, um, and so they did this whole thing. Well, you, you, you got to do it a few times during the game because you prepared all that stuff for it. Well, here we are in the second half in a runoff clock for a mercy rule, and they do this whole bit to the song, all I do is win, 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 no matter what. And I'm looking around me, proud of my girl. I think the opposite is actually true here, you know? Uh, and I don't say anything, but I have to think about the other team that's present, looking at us, saying, all we do is win, 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 while the mercy clock is rolling, and they have to think to themselves, those people are out of touch with reality. <laughs> that happens. It happens. Guys, Paul is saying, if the resurrection of Jesus isn't a real, historic, bodily event, then Christianity is not only not real and not helpful in this temporary miserable existence, it is absurd. It's just therapeutic rah-rah for people who just die and that's it. No substance. No real hope. And furthermore, if Jesus isn't raised bodily, he becomes just an inspirational figure, along with all the other guys throughout world history. He's taught some neat things, died an honorable death, put him in that category for consideration. But here's a problem. Jesus actually doesn't allow us to put him in that category. Y'all know the C.S. Lewis quote. Look what he says. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he is a poached egg, or he would be the devil of hell. You must take your choice. Either this was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. 
Paul is saying, if he is risen, he is Lord and he is God. If he is not risen, he is a madman. There is no middle ground. Christianity by its very nature, if it is treated as therapy, just to help us get through this temporal life only, Paul says, rah, rah, it has no effect. Throw it all in the garbage. Secondly, if the resurrection, if there is no resurrection, death is the end of everything and everyone. Okay, that's today's message. Go in peace. Look what he says in the last part of 32. If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. That's a philosophical statement. That is a religious statement. It is a position, a philosophical, religious position of a person who's looking around them and trying to make conclusions about life. Eat and drink, tomorrow we die. That's my commitment. That's how I'm going to live. That's my basis. That's my philosophy. It's my religion. It is a religious philosophy that Paul mentions here. He says, if there is no resurrection, then this material world is all there is. There is no God. There is no hope. When you die, you rot. Everyone eats potato salad in your honor, and they go on with life. You are forgotten, and that is it. That's reality if there is no resurrection. Now, if a person adopts this view, material world is all there is. There is no afterlife. There is no God. There is no resurrection. They have to settle some things in their own life about how they're going to live. And the only option in the end, if you travel that path all the way down to its end, the only option they have to do, is, they, they have, is really to become a sort of hedonist where... You just sort of say, eat, drink, live it up, because you're going to die anyway. You might as well get to share it. Hedonism is kind of a natural result of that. It's the ultimate YOLO perspective. You only live once. Go after it. Get it while you're there, because it's going to be gone. And actually, this isn't just funny games. It's the fastest growing religion in America. Did you know that? It's atheistic materialism. Materialism meaning only the material world is what exists. Material only. There is no God. Atheistic materialism. Fastest growing religion in America. It is a religious worldview. It contains dynamics that cannot be proven to God or life. You can live accordingly. Hedonism is one of the results of thinking like that. It's one way of living your life. And in that religion... Many people don't think through the implications of choosing that path. It is a religion that claims to be non-religious. Let me give you a couple of implications of walking down that path. Number one, there are no human rights. You have to let go of human rights when you let go of God. There are no human rights. Human rights come from a creator who says you are made in my image, you are special in creation, and you have inherent rights as a human being. You take away God, 
you live according to some other few, forget human rights. It's gone. Live otherwise. Don't try to hold on to that. Don't borrow from another worldview and take it into that worldview that has no basis for it. There are no human rights. And yet I see bumper stickers everywhere. And I see, and I kind of laugh, and it's not a judgment thing, it's just a, you get to pick one. They're obviously an atheist. I'm sitting behind them at the red light or whatever. And they're obviously an atheist on one bumper sticker. And then they're fighting for human rights on another bumper sticker. And I kind of giggle. And I say, you can't have your cake and eat it too. You got to pick one. If you let go of human rights, you let go of God, you let go of the human rights. Right? You have to. But that's that's the way it is. The other thing, there is no such thing as equality. Equality in America is a huge value to us. Well, you just let go of it when you let go of God. It's only God says humanity equal in value and dignity, no matter what color you are, language you speak, clothes you wear, money you have. Only God says that. You throw all that out when you throw God out. And you need to live accordingly. Don't hold on to that. No. Live your worldview. Go all the way. Let it go. Look around you and begin to say, I see a lot that's not equal about us. Foster that because that is what you're moving toward. There is no such thing as morality or ethics. You have let go of a standard of morality and ethics when you have let go of God. There is only right. Everyone is right no matter what they do in atheistic materialism. There's only right. Who has the ability to say what's right and what's wrong? We're all the same. We all have opinion. We all have perspective. You have your feet planted in midair. We all have a valid contribution to what's right and wrong. You have yours, I have mine. Everything is just relative. You let go of morality and ethics, standard across the board, when you let go of God. There's only right. And because of that, there is no such thing as justice. We value justice in America. We love justice. We want justice. Justice for all. Bye-bye. There is no sense of justice when there is no sense of moral right or wrong. Who is to say what's right and wrong? What should be illegal or legal? Social contract is what you're left to. That's it. Let's just agree. Can we agree that we don't, none of us want this? And that's all you have. And you know how long those last? The first person gets irritated and they decide to kill everybody. There's no transcendent moral guide. You have no justice. There's no objective, transcendent truth. And then at the end, let's keep going down that path. There is no value to anything. Everything is only as valuable as anything on the earth. If the material world is all there is, it always has been, what makes one thing more valuable than another? What makes a human being more valuable than a mosquito or dirt or a plant? What makes us more valuable than anything else? on the earth. Nothing. You have let go 
of humanity having value or anything having value. Everything has value and nothing has value. And therefore, there's nothing worth doing. Why add value to people's lives? Why add value to anything? Why work? Why do anything of value? Let me just go here. And I'm not, this is not a political thing, but save the planet. Okay? Global warming. It's heating up. We need to save it. Great. Just go along with that for a second. So what if the earth burns up? Why is that a big deal? It either becomes like Venus. It's hot and there's dirt everywhere. So what? The earth goes on. It doesn't, we're not saving the earth. Are y'all with me? You're not saving the earth. The earth goes on. It's just dirt. Now, humanity doesn't exist. Humanity's gone. Why? Because you can't live on the earth when it's so hot it burns everybody up and burns all the plants up and burns all the water. Everything's gone, right? Save the earth. Why save it? In a materialistic worldview, what's the motive and what's your basis for a motive to save anything? And see, here's the thing. It's humanity you want to save. You want to save it for humanity. Why does humanity have any special place? Why does humanity have any special value? In a material world only, there is no value to a human being. Let it burn. You can't, though, because God put it in you. You know what's special in the universe. You know humanity has inherent value and dignity. You have it innately in you. You, you want to save the planet thinking it's a material world only, and you're driven by this thing that God gave you, and yet you have to let go of it philosophically to be a materialist. There is no value to humanity over here. You had to let it go. You got to let it go. Eat and drink. Tomorrow you die. That's what you're left with. Why do I do anything? There's no value. There's no truth. There's no moral. There's no ethic. I have to throw all of that out. And by the way, economic systems are driven by ethics. They flourish with ethics. The most poverty-stricken nations on the earth, they're poverty-stricken because of corruption, mostly. Ethics make a system flourish with humanity. This is one little nugget I threw in there, sorry. What do you do when you walk down this path long enough that material world is all there is? There's no resurrection. There's no God. There's no afterlife. There's no supernatural. When you walk down this path long enough, you have let go of that and that and that and that. At the end, you get, why do anything? Here's the end of that road. And I promise you, this is where you must end up. Eat and drink. Tomorrow we die. Get your fill. There's nothing worth doing. Eat and drink. Tomorrow we die. Now, I don't know many people who actually want to fully embrace all the implication of their atheistic, materialistic view. But here's what I do see. I see this all the time. It's people who want the therapeutic elements of being a Christian, but they live their lives like a materialist, an atheist. They don't want to fully embrace either. Now, I'm a Christian, but I want to do what I want. 
And so I grab a little hope therapy from Jesus, and I kind of want purpose and meaning and such, you know, those kinds of things. And then I want to grab my freedom of my own lordship from atheism. I still want to be my own lord. And I walk this in-between game in my life, walking in a very shallow sense of both, and I don't fully embrace either. Here's what Paul says. Don't dabble. If Jesus is not raised, that means you aren't raised either. And if, if this material world is all there is and death is the end of everyone and everything, and if that's the case, then embrace that worldview completely all the way down to this logical conclusion and stop playing around with Christianity as providing some help to your temporary life. Because if you dismiss the resurrection, you must dismiss it all. And if you dismiss it all, that's what you're left with. Eat and drink. Tomorrow you die. That is the system you've embraced. But he says, verse 20, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. First fruits of those who have fallen asleep. He has indeed been raised. And it changes everything. Let me give you a few things that come to us from this real historic event. Hold on with me. I promise I'm going to get you to lunch pretty soon. Because Jesus rose bodily from the dead, one, we will be raised to a physical, glorified, eternal life. If Jesus has been raised, death is not the end for any of us. Any of us. Look what he says down in verse 54 to 57, and remember he's arguing for resurrection. He says this, when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. If Jesus was raised, death is just a doorway for all of us. Death is not the end, it's just the beginning. You and everyone you know will be raised. Jesus said those who do good to eternal life, those who do evil to be condemned. Jesus even said, even though we die physically, uh, Pastor Casey read it earlier, even though we die physically, we don't really die. We pass right through. We were made for eternity. You know it in your heart. You know it in your heart. And God has placed it there. And let that desire for eternal life rise up in your heart. It's true and it's real. Believe it today. Let the resurrection power of Christ and its reality flood your soul. And strengthen you. We are, secondly, free from the fear of death. Verse 31 and 32 of 1 Corinthians 15, he's arguing for the resurrection. Look what he says here. I face death every day. Yes, just as surely as I boast about you in Christ Jesus our Lord. If I fought wild beasts in Ephesus with no more than human hopes, what have I gained? Awesome statement. Paul's saying this. I live under the threats of wild beasts in the arena every day of my life. 
I have death threats on me every day of my life, says Paul. I face the lions every day. And he says, I can face them, how? With courage. Why? Because of the resurrection. I don't have to fear the lions. How does he have such courage? The resurrection is real. Not just therapy. Real. I will be raised. I have nothing to fear in death. The last two years, the world has been covered in darkness with death at every turn. Am I right? You felt the cloud of it. You probably have had anxiety over it. You might have had the illness and wondering where you're going to make it. We've all faced death and our mortality straight in the face. And maybe a lot of us are very, very afraid and overwhelmed by even the imminence of how we will die or when we will die. And Paul says the resurrection makes us fearless. Be filled with resurrection power and courage and hear and feel those chains of fear of death fall to the ground in your soul. It is no longer your enemy. Where, O oh, death, is your sting? The lion of death has been declawed. It cannot hurt you or oppress you any longer. Jesus has defeated that beast. Live free. Live courageously. Look what Tim Keller says about this. He says, if there is no resurrection, we have everything to fear. In fact, we would be fools out of touch with reality not to be fearful. But if the resurrection is true, then we are fools if we allow fear to cripple our lives. Be free of that fear. Let that fear fall down. It's the resurrection that gives you that hope. Next, we have the fullness of life in this life. John 10, 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. You see, Christianity is not some miserable existence in this life, and we're just waiting for the good times to come. No, the good times are now, right now. We have power to live this life fully and abundantly and full of joy and enjoy the temporal life that we have fully. Why? Because we know it's temporal. We have hope beyond the grave. It's not all we have to hold on to that's going to get ripped from our fingers at death. You don't have to claw your way into your life and save your life. Jesus has your life, and you're free to live full and abundant and joyful and happy and at peace and fearless. You can live more full and free because of the resurrection than you ever could when this temporary existence is all you have to hang on to. Let me just say this quote. It's my quote. I just wanted to capsulize it here. When Christ and his resurrection is our hope, we can actually enjoy the things of this world much better than we ever could when this temporary existence is all we have. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ makes that not just therapeutic concept, but reality. Now, Paul says, I'm closing here. Paul says, you got to choose one of these paths. You can't have both. But we kind of like the middle ground, don't we? I read a bumper sticker once. It said, 
how much sin can I get away with and still go to heaven? The reason some of y'all laughed is it was all thought of. And it's a joke, right? But it's our instincts. We want our benefits of religion. We want that hope. We want the meaning and the purpose and the wholeness that comes from it. The ethics, the morals, freedom in life. All the benefits that come from it. But we also want what we want. We like control. It's like people who ask, you know, can I keep blank and still be a Christian? You, you fill the blank, fill in the blank, whatever it is. Sleep with my girlfriend, sleep with my boyfriend, whatever it is. Can, can I still keep, can I still do blank and, and be a Christian? You fill in the blank. The problem with that question is it's a wrong question. It's not, you can't start there. The better question is this. Is Christianity true? Did Jesus come out of that grave or not? Is he truly who he claimed to be? That's the question. When you answer it for yourself, it answers all the other questions. Paul says, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the hinge point for everything else in life. Or he hasn't risen at all. He is Lord and God, or he is a madman. He deserves all that you are, or he deserves nothing from you. And here's the truth. He is indeed risen. Amen. Let's, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for today. And um, Lord, just the spirit of the text. Um, God, just pray you take it and go from here with it and, and use it. Center our hearts in this reality. Make us a people who live fully in resurrection power. Lord, I pray if there's a person in this room that's crippled with their fear, the resurrection power by the Spirit of Jesus floods their soul and they're more courageous than they've ever been. And they can look at death and smile. Lord, for those who are wavering back and forth between two opinions, Oh, Lord, that we would rally to Jesus and give him all and say, my Lord and my God, you have all of my life. You deserve all of me. Center us, Lord, on this Resurrection Sunday in the resurrection and make us a people who have resurrection power flowing through our lives into this world of confusion, and let us be a people who bring clarity, light. Lord, be glorified in this song. I pray for every person in this room that we would just do business with you right now. We've heard your word. Now we want to express to you our response in this response plan. So take it and hear our prayer. Meet with us. And we pray it in Jesus' name.
stand with me all across the room. We're going to sing this song. Let's take the time to do business with God. Amen.